0: Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is the Daily 202 for Monday, November 30th. In today's news, Joe Biden will need a walking boot for several weeks after slipping while playing with his dog. The president elect hires an all female senior communications team. And the Wisconsin recount ends up adding to Biden's margin of victory. But first, the big idea. This morning, at least 95,000 Americans are hospitalized with the coronavirus. Roughly one in five of all hospitalized people today have COVID. These numbers are about to get worse because so many people traveled over Thanksgiving. Let me focus today on how one hospital is trying to deal with the surge. For two days the week before last, the Mayo Clinic allowed our medical writer Lenny Bernstein to embed with doctors inside one of its hospitals in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, as it coped with the staggering consequences of the contagion. As the pandemic swelled around the 160 bed hospital, the day dawned auspiciously. Two precious beds for new patients had opened overnight. At the morning bed meeting, prospects for a third looked promising. Better yet, by mid morning, there were no patients in the emergency department. None. Even in normal times, a medium sized hospital like that can go months without ever reaching zero in the ER. Everyone knew better than to trust their good fortune. And they were right. From 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., seven patients arrived in the emergency room. Fourteen descended in the hour after that, then ten more in the hour after that. A third had signs of COVID. But there was also the man who had smashed his fingers with a hammer, the unresponsive woman who had to be resuscitated, the guy who injured his elbow, someone with neck pain, someone with acute depression. By noon, the hospital put itself on bypass, sending all ambulances to the two other hospitals in town. This is a last resort move that's rarely employed. Our hospitals are in danger of buckling beneath the weight of the pandemic and the ongoing needs of other sick people. In small and medium-sized facilities like this one in Eau Claire, which have been hit hardest by the third wave of the outbreak, that means finding spots in ones and twos rather than adding hundreds at a time as New York hospitals did in the spring when the coronavirus swept the Northeast. More challenging still in places like Eau Claire is locating doctors, nurses, respiratory technicians, and other staff needed to provide care as the pandemic places unprecedented demands on the entire nation's infrastructure simultaneously. Even Mayo, one of the most prestigious and well-resourced systems in all of American medicine, is supplementing its Wisconsin staff with nurses from its hospitals in Arizona, Florida, and Minnesota. With nearly 300 staff infected or quarantined in northwest Wisconsin, the system has turned to technological solutions and shuttling patients between hospitals as beds open up. A glimpse inside the sandstone walls of this one hospital reveals little of the stress it's under. The corridors are clean and quiet. Little equipment is visible. Few people scurry through public areas or cluster in conversation. The hospital was designed that way a decade ago. If necessary, Mayo can close off the COVID unit and create one giant negative pressure system in an attempt to keep the airborne virus contained. In one eight-hour shift, nurses must don gowns, gloves, N95 masks, and face shields a minimum of 24 times, checking to ensure they're protected against the virus. After each visit, they have to carefully strip off the protection and dispose of it. Mary Beth Pickler was filling in on the floor when another nurse asked her to sit with a dying COVID patient, he had perhaps an hour to live. Mary Beth sat down and listened as the man talked. He talked about how he used to farm and how he had dairy cows, and after he sold the dairy cows, he got some black Angus cows. After 25 minutes, the man took off the mask that provided him high-flow oxygen, and then he passed away. With no visitors allowed, Mary Beth said she felt it was an honor to be able to sit with him and hear about his life. Otherwise, he would have been alone when he died. In nine states, more than one in every thousand people who were alive at the start of the year are now dead because of coronavirus-related causes. Fortunately, though, we have some good breaking news this morning. Moderna, one of the leaders in the race for a coronavirus vaccine, announced that it will file today for regulatory clearance— a critical milestone that brings us a step closer to having two vaccines before the end of the year. Moderna said its vaccine was 94% effective at preventing illness in a 30,000-person clinical trial. That's a performance that exceeds expectations and is on par with the best pediatric vaccines. All 30 cases of severe COVID in the trial were in a group that received the placebo vaccine. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start the week. Number one, President-elect Joe Biden, who turned 78 last week, slipped on Saturday while playing with his dog Major, one of his two German shepherds. Late Sunday afternoon, Biden visited Delaware orthopedic specialists about a half hour from his house in Wilmington. After spending two hours there, Biden traveled via motorcade to a nearby imaging facility to get a CAT scan. He could be seen walking with a limp. A follow-up scan confirmed hairline fractures in Biden's right midfoot, according to his physician, Kevin O'Connor. O'Connor says Biden will likely require a walking boot for several weeks. Biden adopted Major from the Delaware Humane Association in 2018. Major set to become the first rescue dog to live in the White House. Joe and Jill Biden also announced on Friday night that they plan to get a cat as they enter the White House as well. Number two, this is historic. All seven of the top people in the White House communication shop next year will be women. It's the first time all of the top aides tasked with speaking on behalf of the president and shaping its message will be female. Jen Psaki will be Biden's press secretary. Kate Benningfield will be communications director. Corrine Jean-Pierre. A former top official with the liberal group Move On will be principal deputy press secretary. Pilly Tobar, who worked for America's Voice, a liberal immigration reform group, will become deputy White House communications director. Simone Sanders will become Kamala Harris's chief spokeswoman. As Anita Dunn, a longtime close Biden advisor, put it to Annie Linsky, who broke this story last night, the odds are very high that if it's a story about the Biden administration, any aspect of it, at least one quote in the story will be from a woman. Unlike the team that Biden has chosen, Trump's communication staff includes several senior spokesmen who are regularly quoted. In other significant transition news, Biden is expected to nominate Neera Tandon, the chief executive of the left-leaning Center for American Progress, to be director of the influential Office of Management and Budget. Tandon, whose parents immigrated from India, would be the first woman of color to oversee the agency. Biden will also appoint Princeton University labor economist Cecilia Rouse, as chair of the three-member Council of Economic Advisors, along with economists Jared Bernstein and Heather Boucher. Rouse, who is African-American, would be the first woman of color to chair the council. She was Toni Morrison's daughter-in-law. And Brian Deese, who served as a senior economic official during the Obama administration, will be named as director of the White House National Economic Council. Republicans focused their ire on Tandon when these names came out. She'll need to be approved by the Senate to take on the job, and several Republican senators said they planned to vote against her. Number three, the recount of presidential ballots in Wisconsin's two largest counties reconfirmed Sunday that Biden beat President Trump in that key swing state by more than 20,000 votes, the latest example of the president's flailing efforts to undo the election results. The completion of the recount, which the Trump campaign had requested, added to a pileup of defeats for the president as he continues to attack Biden's victory, claiming without evidence that widespread fraud tainted the results. His campaign has vowed to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, though it is yet to do so, while suffering losses nearly every day in state and federal courts. Under Wisconsin law, Trump was required to foot the bill, meaning that his campaign actually paid $3 million to see Biden widen his margin by 87 votes. Roz Helderman and Amy Gardner report that four of the six states where Trump has questioned the results have already certified their vote tallies. His efforts to stop Michigan officials from finalizing the vote there ran aground. A hand recount of ballots in Georgia confirmed Biden's win in that state, and a second recount there will conclude on Wednesday, but Georgia officials say it won't significantly change Biden's 12,000 vote margin of victory. Meanwhile, two new court decisions in Pennsylvania late last week rejected the Trump campaign's attempt to halt the vote count in that state. The last key vote certification could come Monday, today, when Arizona is set to finalize its results, along with the Wisconsin Republicans, including the three who sit on Wisconsin's six-member election commission, may attempt to delay certification. However, under state law, the chair of the commission, currently a Democrat, has the authority to finalize the results. Even if the Trump campaign were to pull out a surprise courtroom win, which legal experts say is unlikely, it would do little to change the outcome of the race which Biden won with 306 electoral votes. The Electoral College will meet on December 14th to formalize Biden's victory. This has just been such an odd year, and it feels amid COVID and everything else like no tradition is safe. We've all had to adjust. Mall Santas are in the same boat. They're braving the pandemic with plexiglass barriers, sanitation elves, and snow globe bubbles. This year's holiday photos will have a pandemic vibe, no more sitting on Santa's lap or whispering in his ear. Instead, venues are now requiring reservations, masks, and temperature checks, as Santa often sits behind a screen or inside a globe. Some retailers, including Macy's, have suspended Santa visits altogether, or they've moved them online. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, November 30th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman.